When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, I'm, I'm waiting on you, man. It's your show. I'm, I'm here for you. It doesn't feel like it sometimes. <laughs> I know, but it yeah. should. Not when you're I mean, your name's on the, on the door. Yeah. That's, that's how we know that it's yours. Can I have your permission to start the interview? Would you please start the interview <laughs> at your leisure? So I've been living out of my truck since 2008. You know, in a truck with a dog for 15 years, give or take a little bit. I know a little about a lot of shit and a lot about a little shit, but I don't know everything about anything. That's a surprise to me. I know. Because you carry yourself like you know fucking everything. Well, that's but. kind of the goal, right? <laughs> There's a group of guys in the Navy, they're, they're called SEALs, and you should never even consider <laughs> that. I always wanted to be a point man. Yeah. Like, that was my dream job in the teams. And I started as a radio man, and then I was a 60 gunner. And I looked down, and my legs, I'm just fucking pouring blood out of my leg. What a fucking shit show. Oh, we can't afford to get a plane. Wow. Thanks. Tip of the spear. Nothing but the finest for my boys. Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to welcome my next guest to the podcast. It's actually coming back to the podcast. True. Spent 16 and a half years on active duty, five deployments between SEAL Team 8 and SEAL Team 3, two of which I was on with him. Well, He's got a Navy comm with a V for vagina, I mean valor. He's got a presidential unit citation. He's a the, puck. He's the owner of SH9 Outdoor Shop. He's the author of Go Fuck Yourself, a cautionary tale slash memoir about <laughs> sex toys and the dangers of prostate massage. He's the curator of dangers? himself. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Shane Hyatt. Yay! Blaine Wyatt. <laughs> so, uh, what's the last full book that you read? Uh, the fourth book of... You say Wheel of Time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fucking yeah I'm, I'm, I'm in it. I'm in it right again. this minute. I read it every... Well, I read it almost every year. Yeah, the whole series. Matt, what, what's the total time that it takes you to read the entire series, it usually? It depends on where I'm at. If I'm at the house, it takes a long fucking time. But if I'm on the road, I, I do a lot of reading on the road. And it's in a Kindle, so it doesn't take that long. So bolt, I mean, what's a lot of time versus not a lot of time? Uh, 17 books, and they're full novels, probably two months on the road, and four, four and a half. So like house. almost half the year you, you read that no matter what. I mean, do you Most read years, a lot of other books otherwise? I, I don't. Really? No, I didn't. I, I should. Okay, outside the Wheel of Time series, what's the last A Sword of Truth. <laughs> An S word of truth? <laughs> the fuck is that? Uh, it's another uh, uh, fantasy fucking <laughs> s- <laughs> series. Okay, All right. third, third time's a charm. What's the last <laughs> real fucking book that you read? <laughs> Jesus uh, Christ. <laughs> you knew that's. You knew we were going to go here. Yeah. Um, the last full book I read legit cover to cover was a hardback copy of uh, fingerprints of the gods graham yeah. hancock okay well not, that's a good start yeah all right okay uh, what's well, that's la- not a start that was the third time was the charm i mean it's a good start <laughs> in terms of just you know uh, an actual book that right, yeah. you know, isn't uh, 
some weird fucking dream. When's the last time you got laid? Uh, August of 12th. That is refreshingly honest. Yeah. August of 2012. 2012, yeah. August, <laughs> yes. Uh, who's your favorite Marvel character? <laughs> going to skip right over that one. <laughs> wow. Uh, Deadpool. Is that considered a Marvel character, really? I mean, yeah. Is it? Yeah, that's Marvel. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, so I'm, I'm trying to bounce between total bullshit questions and deep questions. Okay. Why, why do humans exist? Uh, why do you think that they exist? Like, why are we here? Is uh, it an accident? Yes. Is there, is there some... Nah, there's no grand design. No, none, none whatsoever. No. It's simply a matter of uh, the proper sequences of DNA fucking joining together and, and evolution and the hierarchy of nature. Total, total mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I, I bet I know the answer. I'm, I'm sure we've even talked about it, but um, do you think that there are other human beings in the universe? Human beings? That might be a stretch, but other intelligent life, I can't imagine that there's not. So to me, uh, I mean, and probably considerably more intelligent life, all things considered. I, I mean, to me, like if, like, so if, if, if we say that your theory of it's a total mistake is, is an accident, if you look at, you know, the, the natural elements that exist in the universe are pretty constant, you know, at least to our knowledge, which right, right. granted is yeah. skewed to begin with, but agreed. Uh, to me, it would only make sense if, if that mistake was able to be made, like mathematically, it could, it could, and, and probably would be replicated again. Right. So, I, I mean, to me, like if other legit life form exists, I think a lot, a lot of people want to assume that it's some totally fucking weird, no pun alien tech, you know, right, like, yeah. way outside the realm of well, the idea it? of carbon based or silicone based or whatever the base is. Yeah. It, it all has to do with, to your point, the the consistency of what we understand the elements that make up the galaxy right or the universe for that matter yeah but there's too much of it for there not to be some other facsimile of what we are yeah another i there's a part of me that's, uh, that believes that maybe we're the cautionary tale of the universe everybody knows we're here and they drive by and they're like no fucking way we don't want that infecting our shit because we're smarter than that and they move on I don't know. I mean, I think humans, like, there's a shitload of flaws, but you think about the brilliance behind a lot of things that exist. Mm -hmm. To mean, to me, like, it, it's, I think, fun to joke and be like, yeah, I bet aliens are like, fuck that place, but <laughs> there's a lot of cool shit here. There like, is. To be fair, I mean. There is, no doubt. I, you know, I think life's pretty awesome, but uh, do you think that the universe keeps going? Like, what's your, what's your take on, on how it exists? Do you think it's a, a, a sphere that repeats like what it's the uh there's a the multiple universe theory and the the fabric of the universe you know they look at uh, the different scans of the universe infrared and all the different ways that they can view the light that exists and it creates a pattern kind of like the pattern in a leaf you know the the webs in a leaf or the veins in your hand or your fingerprints and I don't know, maybe, maybe there is an infinite number of those and, and an infinite, maybe we are all there is. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Why don't you know that? I, I, there's a lot I don't know. You've been around way longer than I have. You should I, know this I, shit. I have. I mean, there's some shit I know that you don't, but. 
Uh, Christ. I know a little about a lot of shit and a lot about a little shit, but I don't know everything about anything. That's a surprise to me. I know. Because you carry yourself like you know fucking everything. Well, that's but. kind of the goal, right? <laughs> You're, if, you, if you present con, you know, confidence, you, yeah. you, you project it, and it. Yeah, fake it till you make it. That's right. right. Hey, yeah, why not? Exactly right. What, uh, all right, so you got your, your home routine, which is in New Mexico, like mm-hmm. when you're at, at your shop. Yep. Uh, and then you have your on the road. So for you, I'm going to say, because you kind of split time, I'd say almost half and half or, yeah. or pretty as close. close as I can manage it. Uh, what is your AM routine, both at home and on the road? Do you have one? Mm, sort of. I, uh, I like to lay in bed. I enjoy it. It's one of my favorite things in the world. Whether I'm asleep or not, I love laying in a fucking bed. And so most mornings, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) you must get a lot done. Super productive. (laughs) If, uh, if procrastination were paid, I'd be one of the richest people you've ever met, but it's not. And so without, because of the last minute, I do get a lot of shit done. Uh, without the last minute, I wouldn't get a whole lot done. Yeah. And I do it all the time. It's, uh, there's a part of me that sees it as a hangup, but it's never really hemmed me up to a degree that causes me long-term grief. Yeah. So I, I like I got two and a half weeks to get these three things done. If I wait until if I start seven days before I leave, I should be done two days before I leave. So I'll start five days before I leave and then I'm still working the day I'm trying to leave. That's, that's, I mean, that's pretty much the standard. Yeah. So morning routine then? Morning routine. Oh, is that what we, is that what we were talking about? Uh, most mornings I roll out early with the dogs, uh, on the road particularly. Uh, my brother feeds at the house. What's early? Uh, he leaves, I don't know, 5.30, 5.45. So that's so. when you get up. Well, I, the dogs get up, and then at the house, he feeds, and then they all get in the truck with me. So I have four, five, six dogs in the truck with me when he goes to work. And then I land, the, I land the truck with the dogs until, oh, eight or nine, and then I get up and you know, stretch my toes a little bit and scratch my ass and wander in the house and make coffee and breakfast. And then I wander out to the shop at some point after that. And so that's, uh, that's at home and then on the road. There's no shop to wander in. No, no, I so. just, I, I get up and feed and then we take a nap after breakfast, you know, post, <laughs> post breakfast nap, you know, cause you don't want to, you don't want to do shit on a full stomach. You know, you can twist a dog's stomach by yeah. exercising too hard. Yeah, you should um, wait at least 12 at, hours at before least, you do anything. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, usually, I don't know, between five and six, yeah. we get up and she gets her chicken and we wander around for a minute and pee in the weeds and then get back in the truck. And I usually, most mornings I'm up between eight and nine. Yeah. What are the two key components for canine success? That's effective training and proper nutrition. Fueled by Team Dog brings those two components to your family and best friend. The perfect nutritional balance that results in a higher mental acuity, energy, overall vitality, and even an improved appearance. Every product you will find in my company's store was born from the battlefield and not from the boardroom. Let my life's work help you become your dog's hero. What, yeah, I mean, when you're on the road, like I know it, it varies drastically where you're at. I mean, sometimes yeah. you're doing projects for people. Sometimes you're just fucking off and right. hiking. Sometimes, you know, you're going somewhere or whatever. But is there like even a checklist of like every morning, you know, I'm at least going to do this. I'm going to consume this. I'm going to movement wise. I'm going to do no. it. Just no, you just fucking no, I, I fly by the seat of my pants. It's uh, it's interesting living, living on the road with a dog as long as I have. 
Which has been how long? Uh, so I've been living out of my truck since 2008. So what is that, that 15 I feel like years that's an now? episode in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. going to dive into that. Yeah. So, you know, in a truck with a dog for 15 years, give or take a little bit. But uh, I've always thought that the way a dog lives is, uh, is admirable. And, and, and not just a dog, but most of nature outside of humans. Um, it's what's going on right this minute. Not 10 minutes ago, not 10 minutes from now. What are we doing right this minute? And so on the road, particularly, I tend to do that a lot. What am I going to do? Well, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to go for a walk. So I go for a walk. I don't really put a lot of planning into it unless it's something that I have to plan around. I play golf on the road quite a bit. And, you know, that requires at least a little bit of planning. But usually I play during the week. And during the week, most golf courses are dead. Yeah. So I can get away with a lot and a lot of latitude even there. And a lot of courses will let the dog come out with me. So it's nice. But yeah, I don't really, uh, unless I have an, a set goal for like climbing, I got back on the rocks this trip and uh, getting in my head because I'm by myself and I've got gear so that I can climb by myself roped so I don't fall and, you know, <laughs> grab a broken hold and fall to my death because I thought I was cool. Yeah. Um, getting all that gear set up, getting to the rock, knowing where I'm going to go. So there's some planning to that, but that's all based off of what I'm doing that day. It's still not, I don't plan way out yeah. at all. What, uh, in terms of the decision to live in your truck versus not, I mean, I've known you for 25 years, 25 fucking years. I, know, now, right? so. I was thinking about that yeah. coming in here. I'm like, fuck, it's been 25 years. Yeah. The, uh, and I want to get your version of the story on the day that we met or how we met. I'll, I'll, I'll give you. I'll let you share it. I'll give you the best I can because my memory is not as good for that yeah. shit as yours. But, um, but the, you know, I'm curious. The like the last time you lived in a house, like in in an actual residence and not out of your truck, was '07. Yeah, yeah. Before I went to Bahrain in, in Santee, right? That yep. little shithole place that mm -hmm. uh, had mouse shit everywhere. Yeah, the, the, the rental property that yeah. the skunk got. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was it like a conscious decision? Because I know even, I mean, back during SEAL Team 3 days, there there were periods where you either slept in the platoon hut or you slept in your fucking Land Cruiser out in the, in well, the that parking was, lot. Like, that was early on because I didn't have a place yet. So when I came back, when I came out of college, I was living in the Land Cruiser. Okay. And then the base base security rolled me up and I lived in the platoon hut for a bit. And then I got I went ahead and got an apartment. Yeah. Um, part of the impetus for getting in my truck now was... As I was getting ready to get out of the military, it dawned on me that I'd seen more foreign countries than U.S. states. And I think probably the vast majority, particularly of American population, is guilty of this. Nobody sees the shit that they're around. They travel to see shit. Every state has really neat shit in it. Every state has most every environment in it. So there's a lot to see just in the country. And most people haven't seen it. And so I decided... I was going to do a year. That was the goal when I built my truck out. I was going to do a year of traveling the U.S. and seeing more of it. And the more I did it, the better I liked it. And uh, when my brother gave me the opportunity to build shops at his place so I didn't have the overhead because it was his place, so I built a shop at his place, and I, shit, I wasn't doing knives then. I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything. I just wanted a place to have to store all my shit. And... uh after I did that and traveled most of that year, it dawned on me, I really like doing this. So I'm going to see if I can't set it up so that I can just travel at least half of every year. And then I've got a place to call home for all intents and purposes. So I've got a place to store all my extra shit and, and spring out of, but I, anytime I can just 
pick up my, I can jump in my truck and just drive away. Yeah. And I, there's something, there's some, when I was a kid, my mom thought I was a gypsy. When I, when I was leaving to go in the military, she's like, yeah, I always knew you, you, you weren't going to stay. My brother's been in the same state his whole life. He's never lived anywhere else. Even the same part of the state, really. Yeah, pretty I mean, close to, within yeah. Within 50 miles of where he, uh, 100 tops. Like where he's at right now is like, it's right at 60 miles from where we spent the majority of our childhood. Yeah, and he's never really gone anywhere mm-hmm. else. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, when, when I graduated high school, so when I started high school, we did one year together. His senior, my freshman were the same year. He was working at a gas station between where we lived and the school. When I graduated high school, he was still working at a gas station. Yeah. And there's a part of like, there's no fucking way I could do that. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't leave fast enough. Well, so. And the military was the. Yeah. So I guess we'll, uh, we'll dig back into the, uh, to the, the truck life, if you will. I would like to go over some of your childhood and military career because it's, okay. yeah. it's significant. Again, it's your show. You do whatever you want, man. Oh, can I? Yeah. yeah thanks for that. Please, please carry on. Yeah. As uh, you were. Yeah, man, that's, that's really nice of you. I'm, I'm a giver yeah. that way. I heard that about you. Uh, you're also a taker though. Well, you, you know, like if, to balance it, it out. if, if the sender is correct, <laughs> then, you know, but so you're originally from, uh, bumfuck New Mexico. I mean, really Albuquerque. Rio yeah. Rio. Yeah. South, uh, no South Valley of Albuquerque actually. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't uh, until that. Well, we'll get into that. Yeah. So you, you grew up, uh, in the desert really. I mean, uh, on the Rio Grande river Valley. So mountains on the East and Mesa high desert yeah. on the West. How would you, uh, kind of synopsize your childhood? awesome it was <laughs> awesome <laughs> what made it awesome uh me oh okay because uh, i was a part of it it was yeah. spectacular so humble uh, um now my uh my childhood i don't know that it was any different than anybody else's and actually you and i've talked about this so very similar i grew up i was i was the minority where i grew up uh, mexicans and indians were and shit there was my graduating class was 400 give or take it's not a huge school but not a tiny school and there was, I think, 26 white kids in that class. Yeah. So, you know, that's, I, I grew up in that world. And the South Valley of New Mexico now is, shit, Albuquerque is one of the highest crime cities. I think it's the highest car theft in the nation. I mm-hmm. think it ranks one almost every year. Yeah. And uh, if you drive through Albuquerque with a U-Haul, you were going to get robbed if you stopped for more than 10 minutes. So just, bad, huh? yeah, it's, it's, it's stagger. Really? Staggering. Is, and, it, I mean, uh, is there a, a market behind it or is it just? It, the, well, it's the, uh, there's a lot of the Mexican influenced drug cartel shit goes on in the South Valley, basically where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a big influence of that. And apparently there's a market for it or they wouldn't keep doing it. Yeah. Uh, childhood wise though, I mean, you grew up uh, in kind of a more rural environment, yeah, right? Yeah. We were, um, we, it was, uh, I think it was 20 acres of alfalfa field that a guy owned and he just partitioned it off and sold it off in half acre lots so there was i don't know 10 or 12 15 families down there and they're all like trailers or what yeah yeah, yeah mobile homes and it's not trailers you don't say that with that, that, that condescension it was it was yeah. mobile homes okay yeah. fucking trailer park <laughs> is that what you grew up in it wasn't a park it was uh it was trailers <laughs> on lots so it was worse than a park <laughs> it was better so a, a better. trailer park would have yes. been better than where yes, you were at. i am poor white trailer <laughs> trash there you you happy there i fucking said it out loud i feel like i won you, d- you did you, you're a winner <laughs> yep you're a fucking winner nice work uh, Make yeah. me feel guilty about myself. Uh, I but, know uh, that, that's impossible, yeah. first of all. But no, it was it was a good childhood. My mom was spectacular. Um, my stepdad was a piece of shit. 
but uh, mom was spectacular and just had her shit together. And your your real dad? Uh, he he suicided. Well, there's some dissension in the family that he didn't, but he suicided when I was two and a half. Yeah, I have zero memory of him. I don't have a fucking clue. Yeah, apparently he was a hell of a musician, um, but I don't I don't know anything about him. Yeah. Other than what, you know, what I got from his side of the family. Do you know why, uh, I mean, obviously you, you don't know personally, but like, did your mom share any? So the, the story is, and, and a lot of his side of the family blamed it on my mom. He was musician and he was good. And uh, he was into drugs and alcohol real heavy. And when she got pregnant with my brother, she told him flat out, clean your shit up or I'll walk. And he did for a while, and then he got back into it, and so she walked. Yeah. And she was, you know, this is what I said, this is what I'm going to do. And, uh, and because of that, he suicided. That was this, that's the, what everybody believes. Now, whether that's the truth or not, I don't know. I mean, did you ever have any heart-to-hearts with your mom as you got older? Oh, yeah, and that's, that was her opinion as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, was it an overdose? or No, no, he shot himself twice in the head with a twenty two. Twice? Yeah. Well, that, that so lends itself to be a little strange. It's, it, it, it's interesting. So uh, we lived next door. So when I was a teenager, we lived next door to a guy. His dad was the DA for the case of my paternal father's suicide. Yeah. And uh, apparently, and I don't. There's some science that backs this. I've read into it a little bit. If if somebody's going to shoot themselves in the head, they'll do this, but they can see the gun and they'll flinch. And he had the wherewithal to realize that he damaged his frontal lobe and put another one behind his ear. Mm. Now, again, there, that's where the my brother and I even disagree on this, whether it was whether a suicide or, or super committed. Play, right, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, commitment versus, yeah, somebody wants yeah. you. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, inter- I don't, it's, it's funny the number of people, yeah, I tell this story to them, they're like, oh my God, that's so, fucking didn't have anything to do with me, I was two yeah. and a half. Yeah. I don't even care. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting, but aside from that, I don't give a shit. And so this, I mean, you had more than one stepdad growing up, right? I mean, kind uh, of. Yeah. Yeah. One is so interestingly, uh, the, the, the grandpa dad story. So the, the <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, he set it up. You know, I'm going to knock it out of the park. I can't leave that alone. Um, so the stepdad I had from two and a half, three years old until 15 knew my paternal father's family and was actually married to my grandmother on that side yeah. before I was born. So he knew my mom. And then after my dad suicided, if that is what happened, he swooped in and helped out. And, you know, she was 25 with two kids. And he was how old? seemed to me he was somewhere around 12 years older than her, 12, 15 years older. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't know. It was somewhere in that range, and I can't even ask anymore. My brother doesn't remember either, but I think it was somewhere around 12 or 15 years older than her. Yeah. So in his 30s. Yeah. And uh, he did all manner of different shit, you know, road crew, uh, construction, uh, over-the-road trucker for a long, for a, for a number of years. Did you ever ask your mom, like, hey, I know you were young and two kids and whatever, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, That's no, pretty fucking twisted. No, we had to, we had that conversation. She's like, it, because of the times and where I was in life, and I, she, she said flat out, you know, I was twenty five with two kids, and I truly thought I needed somebody to help me out. Yeah, 
And by the time she realized she didn't, she was already in and she was trying to do the right things for the right reasons, family and all that, you know. He was an abusive fuck. He was an abusive fuck, yeah. Uh, yeah, what? to me and my brother. Like physically, emotionally, Oh, yeah, verbally, physically. He was, he, was mentally emo- he was mentally abusive to my little sister. And she was actually his daughter, strangely enough. Um, so half-sister. But uh, he was physically abusive to me and my brother, like horrendously so. Yeah. I was beat with everything from... Uh, from a belt to uh, an extension cord, two by four, shovel handle. He didn't give a shit if he had it in his hand. He'd, he'd beat me with it. Yeah. And I don't mean like, hey, stop that. I mean like a full-on fucking full tilt, hold me and beat me. Yeah. And but, your brother? Uh, my brother, son, my brother, older brother, he felt the need to try and protect me. So he'd take a lot of beatings for me, which I always thought was weird because he'd stand and take it. And I made that fucker work to beat me. Like yeah. he had to, if he didn't catch me right away, he wasn't beating me because I beat, I, I, I <laughs> see a fucker. And it kind of reminds me like uh, the radio flyer. Yeah. It uh, irritated movie. the shit out of him. You know, don't fucking run from me. You think I'm just going to stand here and let you beat me? What do you yeah. think? <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, he was, he was just a prick. And, and I don't know. It's like a, it was like a psychological issue with him. He wanted, he, he needed that reinforcement for some reason, because he did it to my sister. I mean, did your mom ever uh, stand up and be like, hey, fuck face? What? She did on a number of occasions, and th- there were several occasions where it came real close to, well, somebody's going to die in here tonight. But for whatever reason, it never came to that, probably positively. But Yeah. I mean, did she uh, ever get involved where she'd try to get in the middle and he'd get physical with her no i never saw him get physical with her which is probably fortunate particularly as me and my brother got older because i was a mama's boy to my core and my brother was too to some degree but you know because abusive fucking dad but uh no that as we got older we're like i think we could take him <laughs> <laughs> let's high low him well, and, and it, it got that, the, the one that comes to mind when you, when you ask that, I was, I don't remember what the fuck he was beating me for that night, but I was in bed. We had bunk beds in the trailer. Are you happy? It's on wheels. <laughs> yes. It wasn't. It, the wheels were off and it was on blocks. Okay. So, yeah. So, so yeah. that's legit then. <laughs> yeah. No, it's totally not a trailer then. No, I know. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it was cool. a double wide. I mean, it was, t- it yeah. was high end shit. Yeah. No, I can tell. Uh, so bunk beds and I was on the bottom bunk. My brother had the top bunk and he came in and he pinned me under my blankets so he could beat me so I couldn't run. And my brother rolled out of bed. He'd made a, he was in high school at the time. So he was maybe a sophomore in high school. So I was probably, oh, sixth grade. And I was, I was, I was a little kid anyway, but I was, I was lippy. You and I've met, you you know this about me. I was, uh, I I don't see that side. I don't remember what it was about, but he was, he was beating me. And my brother got out of bed and got a bat that he had made in wood shop. And my mom was coming down the hall with a cast iron skillet. Jesus. And so it got, that was probably, and that was when she actually told him, you need to fucking find another place. You need to get the fuck out of here. And so that was kind of the beginning of the end of that whole thing. And then my brother and I both had our individual episodes with him where we were both like, okay, I'm ready to give you a shot, old man. Let's fucking do this. Yeah. And did it come to that? And it never did because he, like most chicken shit abusive fucks, he saw, fuck, I might have to earn this. And like all criminals, he was a fucking chicken shit. Yeah. And so with my brother, it was over a set of uh, jumper cables. <laughs> fucking it's random shit. And he, he was taking jumper cables that he said were his, and they belonged to my brother. My brother was like, those are mine. If you fucking touch them again, I'm going to fucking put you down. <laughs> <laughs> I 
fucking jumper cables. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I mean, he'd been such a dick for so long. Yeah. Like it, it got to the point where pretty much any excuse was going to be enough. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was uh, my sister's. I was 17, so it was her 12th birthday. He was living in a truck, and he was driving, and he was at a truck stop, and he wanted to see her on her birthday. And she was a little girl, and she thought that, you know, it's my daddy and all that shit, and so I drove her to see him. And uh, he was playing head games with her about, you know, this will probably be the last time you're going to see me because I've got a heart condition and I'm going to die. And he just fucking, Amy, fucking crushed her emotionally. 12 year old girl on her birthday and I sent her to go get in the car and when I sent her to the car I told him I said if I ever see you in on or around her again I will fucking put a permanent end to this shit it just infuriated me that you know somebody that he had to have been in his 50s at that point could behave that way towards a child is just yeah. it, it, unconscionable yeah and I then I was I was fully prepared to cave his head in and fucking leave him in his in his truck yeah I want to take a second to talk about something near and dear to my heart, and that is a staunch supporter of this podcast, which is Bub's Naturals. Uh, the hat sitting in front of me uh, here on our coffee table here in the studio belonged to Glenn Doherty. His nickname was Bub. Uh, I did two platoons with him, and his childhood best friend uh, and another colleague of theirs, uh, Sean is the best friend, TJ is their colleague, uh, started Bub's Naturals, which is a collagen and MCT oil company uh, in Bub's or Glenn's honor. And, um, you know, for me, it's, it's uh, an absolute honor to be sponsored by and working with a company that, um, you know, was started in the honor of one of my closest friends and, and a guy that I went to war with. And, uh, you know, the, the Bub's brand is not only super quality, um, you know, collagen, uh, collagen powder as well as MCT oil powder, um, you know, but they also give back to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation. Uh, they donate proceeds from their product sales to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation, which, uh, you know, to me just furthers, uh, you know, the, the mission set on Veterans Day. They give 100% back. So uh, I do believe it's the best collagen on the planet. Uh, I like to mix it in with uh, morning coffee. The MCT oil powder, the same thing. Uh, mixes in very easy. It tastes great. Uh, and it just kind of adds everything that you want to start your day off from a brain health standpoint from uh, joint support, gut support, um, you know, MCT oil and collagen are, are two components, especially as, as we age, uh, that are integral components to, uh, to health. And so, uh, to be able to work with Bub's Naturals and, uh, be able to, to work with them and, and sponsor a product that, uh, number one is a high quality product. And number two is, is so near and dear to, uh, you know, to my heart and to the Mike Drop podcast for, for who it, uh, was started for and what it stands for, um, you know, it's just, uh, it's an amazing, amazing place to be. So, um, it is whole 30 approved. Um, it's, uh, sport certified, so you're not uh, going to run into any problems with that. Um, and I will say that, um, you know, right now they're, they're offering, uh, 20%, <clears throat> 20% off if you go to bubsnaturals.com and, uh, use the mic drop code. So, uh, I really highly encourage you to, to try it out incorporated into your day day to day for joint health for brain health uh, for cognition for gut health and uh, and to support an amazing organization that does a lot of things uh, in glenn bub's honor so uh, go to bubsnaturals.com mic drop is the code 20 percent off yeah 
so there's that, that, that was your kind of big moment of confrontation. To yeah. Those yeah. Last time yeah. I was 17. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So your brother got in a fight. Very similar and about the same age, somewhere around 17, 18. So for us, it was about a three year split between. Yeah. And that was the jumper cable thing. Yeah. Look, all I'm saying is, is if you were to make a list of shit that you would get in a fight over in a trailer park, mm-hmm. jumper cables would be on that list. You fucking ain't right. <laughs> so, they would. There's I mean, no doubt. I mean, anybody that's been I mean, around a trailer park f- should understand <laughs> knows that. the value of a set of fucking <laughs> jumper cables. Uh, <laughs> God damn it. Um, all right. So sports. Yeah. What about them? Uh, what, yeah. Fuck, fuck sports. Sports ball. You, uh, you did swim growing up. Any other sports? Oh, did I did. you try to play any other sports? I, uh, so I went out for... Because uh, I know how athletically fucking talented you I am. Are. I am staggeringly non-athletic. Um, shockingly so, actually, yeah. it turns out. Uh, I went out for high school football. But um, for where we were, and I don't know if this could be the same everywhere, but to go into freshman football, you had to train with the football team for spring training coming out of junior high school. So it was like a four-month training thing to go and work out with the high school football team and and screen to get into freshman football. And they had an old, um, it's a leg press, hip sled, whatever you want to call it. It had a metal plate with a chain adjustment for depth, a couple of springs, you know, so it would bounce instead of being just steel on steel. It was a senior that actually lived in my neighborhood I think he ended up being a Marine at some point. I think he, I think he went into the Marines. At any rate, um, he had a couple of hundred pounds on the hip sled and wanted me to adjust the chain so that it would come deeper. And it was just a, it was a three-eighths chain about this long that went through a notch in a steel plate. And I was fucking with it, and it got jammed. He's like, are you doing it? I was like, no, no, wait. And he just let the weight drop, and it drug my index finger through the slot. And it tore from, I don't know, from the knuckle all the way up underneath the seven stitches and a fucked up finger, but I couldn't finish spring training. So I couldn't play freshman football. Hmm. And so when I started my freshman year, I wanted to do something. And, um, uh, the swim team tryouts came out and I always liked being in the water. And so I went out for swimming and you made the team. So I, yeah, I swam yeah. all four years. Yeah. Um, you went to state and all that shit or I went to state, uh, my junior and senior year. I wasn't competitive, but I went, yeah. I was competitive enough to get a slot, but not enough to be competitive like to place or anything. Yeah. No, nowhere near. And during that time, um, butterfly yeah. was my, um, during that time. I mean, there was a, I remember there was an influence in terms of your decision making process to join the military and specifically go into the SEAL teams. Walk us through that, uh, that, um, mine was different than most, even at that era. Um, I mean, you were far enough behind me. There was more public knowledge of it. Then I knew nothing. Um, I bow hunted with a guy in the neighborhood. He was, I think he was a year or two older than my mom. I bought a compound bow, taking it down to the riverbed to shoot, to teach myself how to shoot a bow. And he saw me one day and he offered to teach me. And he was actually an archer. He, he knew what he was about. This wasn't a, I'm going to tell him I can teach him how to, and then we're just no, going to no, wrestle he, no, in the he basement. Didn't, no, he didn't touch me where I pee or anything. No, he was, he was actually, he was a better father figure than my, than my stepfather ever was. Yeah. He, he was just a, he was a really good guy. He was, you know, he was old school, just a, a solid human being. Yeah. And um, he saw me with my uh, compound bow. He's like, hey, you want to you learn how to shoot a real bow and get rid of those training wheels? And, you know, just kind of talked me up and started teaching me. And he 
best I know, he was a helicopter pilot during the Vietnam era, and he'd flown missions either with or around SEALs. So I met him when I was 13, 14. So by my sophomore, junior year, I was starting to look at, okay, how the fuck do I get out of here? Because I'm not staying. Yeah. And I mentioned that I might think about going in the military, and he said to me, he says, uh, I think that would be really good for you. But he said, uh, if, do you have an idea? I was like, I don't know, an Army, Marines? He's like, I think given your desire to travel, you should go in the Navy. And then he played fucking, you know, <laughs> he, he played with my brain. He's like, I th- there's, there's a group of guys in the Navy, so they're, they're called the SEALs, and you should never even consider <laughs> that. So That's way uh, too hard yeah, for you. Yeah, he did the reverse psychology shit on a kid, basically. Yeah. And he said, they're, they're, they do, most people don't even know what they do, but he said, I flew with and around those guys, and they're fucking batshit crazy. But he said, I think the Navy, yeah, it was kind of an aside, like he just kind of pitched it in. And then, but I think the Navy would be really good for you and you should go join the Navy and, yeah. you know, yada, yada, yada. And so my best friend from high school, who we actually did an appointment with. Yeah. Tommy Baca. Tommy Baca. Uh, the other white guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah. One of the other <laughs> white guys. Uh, Tom had been pestered by, so going into our, so we were juniors. It was like late spring of our junior year. And he had been pitched by every fucking branch of the service and i'd been pitched by the air force there's an air force base in albuquerque oh, the been coast guard. just just the coast guard and the air force that that's who wanted you right <laughs> everybody wanted tom coast guard and air force yeah. was up your alley air force air force <laughs> army and marines had called me yeah and i just wanted to talk to a navy recruiter because a guy i trusted older you know father figure said that i should go in the navy and i wanted to talk to a navy recruiter never got a call from a Navy recruiter I was at Tom's house one afternoon and the Navy recruiter called him. He's like, dude, I keep telling you, I'm not doing this shit. He's like, here, talk to my friend. And he just hands me the phone. I'm like, who the fuck is that? It was a Navy recruiter. And that's how I got into a Navy recruiter. So how the fuck did Tom end up? So, well, that's, I'm getting there. Would you just give me a minute? fucking tell your story? How long, are we on a timeline? I mean, how long can you drag this out for? How long do you want me to? I mean, not not long. Okay, Uh, so... I talked to Navy recruiter. I went in, I was uh, wiring houses. Uh, so I was working as a journeyman electrician as I, as high school student. And so I took my ASVAB and everything was good. And I went in for EM electrician's mate. And I asked my detailer and to his, or my recruiter to his credit, he didn't try to blow smoke up my ass. And I heard horror stories from guys, most of my career about how their recruiters told them all kinds of lies and shit. But my recruiter was dead honest. He's like, look, I don't know a damn thing about the teams. I know it exists. And he said, I know that in boot camp sometime, I think he said in the first two weeks during your, your in-doc and boot camp, they're going to show you a film. When they show you the film, they'll ask for volunteers. He said, your ASVAB scores qualify you for any program in the Navy. You know, verbal and math, the two big ones that they look at. He said, so if that's something you're interested in, when they show that video, stick your paw in the air and volunteer. Even the nuke program, you qualified for that shit? Oh, shit. Did you get like a 99 or what? I don't know. I couldn't fucking tell you. I think the combined was, I think my combined was 89 or 90, 91. Yeah. It it was high enough to qualify me for anything I wanted to do, which fucking weird because I was a great student. (laughs) I mean, I was at, I was, I was better than my brother by a, by a bit, but so that's how I ended up 
going into the teams. And so I left. Tom and I were still, you know, fucking best friends from high school. And I went to the East Coast and I did my first deployment. I came home from my first deployment. So this would have been around 92. Yeah, late 91, early 92. Well, it was Christmas. It was Christmas 91. So the, 92. the whole time from when you joined until, I mean, you, you went through boot camp, A school, Buds, fucking Fort Benning, Airborne, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Went to SEAL Team 8 before you ever talked to Tom again? No, no. I saw him every time I came to town. So every time I come to town, I'd either locate him or I knew his mom. And so I'd find his mom, find out where he was living. And so we, we'd hang out. So after my first deployment, so now I'm like four years out of high school. And he's, we're, we're bullshitting about stuff. And it was more of an awkward getting together than yeah. like that we didn't have anything to talk about. He was going to a local community college, fucking tractionless for all intents and purposes. Yeah. And, uh, we said our goodbyes and I went back to the East coast and I came back from my next deployment and I reached out and I couldn't locate him. Couldn't get it. I couldn't, his mom had moved. He had moved. I didn't have phone numbers. Then, you know, there weren't cell phones and you had a fucking phone. It was attached to your house and that's yeah. how you talk to people. Yeah. So I couldn't locate him. And uh, when I came back from my third deployment, I was, I don't know, two weeks in my new apartment and I get a phone call like a Sunday afternoon. Okay, and says, Tom, dude, what the fuck? I've been to town two or three times since the last time I saw you. I haven't been able to find you. He's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I, I joined the Navy and went to Bud's, and I'm on my way to SEAL Team 3. I'm like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> no I, I, did, I did. I thought, I thought, surely, I'm like, there is no fucking way, because he was so, at the time, like, there was nothing. I mean, I wasn't militant by any stretch of the imagination, but I was in the military, and, yeah. and I was doing shit, and there was something about our last man. That's what he told me on the phone. He's like, yeah, after we talked the last time, he said, it, it irritated the shit out of me that we, we were that good of friends. We had nothing to talk about anymore. Oh, shit. And he said, so I decided at that, when, we, when, when I saw you in Christmas of 91, I decided that I was going, it was either Christmas 91, Christmas 92, he was 188. I think he graduated in 90. Yeah, somewhere around there. I guess. So I decided I was going to go in the Navy and I was going to be a SEAL. And he said, and he told me this <laughs> motherfucker on the phone. He says, uh, I figured if you could do it, there's no fucking way I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> fucking dickhead. Dude, that's fucking if, you, if you can make it, there's no yeah. fucking way I'll have a problem with it. You piece <laughs> of fucking motherfucker. <laughs> I was like, well, why didn't you tell me you were going? He's like, you think I'm fucking stupid? <laughs> like you're in and you could call people. I'm like, I didn't know any BUDS instructors. He said, I bet you would have fucking found some if you'd yeah. have known I was a BUDS. I'm like, oh, you know, maybe. <laughs> so, yeah, just completely fucking joined and did his own thing. And That's then, trip. you know, fast forward another, what, almost 10 years, and then we're in a platoon together yeah. and he's my LPO. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking weird. <laughs> I know. What are the odds? I know. We're fucking deep. I mean, it's, it's, two kids from New Mexico that yeah. grew up together, both end up in the teams and then in you know, together, the yeah. one that's been in longer ends up junior to the one that's been in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, that's wild. Yeah, it's a fucking crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I knew that back then, but it, like it didn't dawn on me until yeah. sitting here right now that like, Jesus Christ, that's, yeah. that's fucking crazy. Yeah. yeah. And it, it just completely because he was frustrated that we didn't have shit to talk about anymore. Yeah. Wow. Or that was, you know, that's the way he, he told me. He's like, yeah, I was just pissed that we didn't have shit to talk about anymore. It was bullshit. Yeah. God, that'd be fucking wild. <laughs> So uh, your East Coast time, uh, mm-hmm. you went through buds in ninety. Uh, uh, so I graduated January ninety. I started. Uh, I, I didn't class up with my original class. I was slated for one sixty three, and uh, 
I, I wasn't a runner. So, oh shit. You say wasn't like you are now. Well, I, I became, I was, <laughs> I was pretty fucking solid when I broke my wings. Um, I, uh, I'd never really run yeah. uh, for, for physical fitness testing, which I guess a lot of states don't even do anymore, but in New Mexico at the time, it was a 600 yard dash. Yeah. And that was the fucking standard for running. And prior to going in the Navy, I never run farther. I don't know if I'd ever run a full mile. Uh, when I took the buds test in boot camp, fourth week, week of boot camp, that mile and a half like to fucking killed me. Is it the 600 yard dash? That's what they called it. I feel like 600 yards isn't really a dash. <laughs> I mean, that's fucking. I mean, look at most of America now. That would kill no, fucking three no, quarters. No. I of mean, the fucking country. 10 yards is a dash for most Americans. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, that was the that was the running standard. But I, you know, I was good in the water. I was comfortable in the water, yeah. and I think I think comfortable is better than strong. Yeah. By by, well, you know as well as yeah. I do. Um, but I was comfortable in the water, so the water was not a big deal. The uh, the buds entrance exam was different then. It wasn't as athletically geared yeah. as it is now yeah but uh this the swim was no big deal pull-ups push-ups sit-ups i was adequate my pull-ups were really good for at the time i don't know i think i did i want to say i did 17 or 18 pull-ups for the for the insurance exam up at great lakes and it was one of the better pull-up scores they'd had yeah but i never run before and it was a it was an eod guy giving the test a big fucking oak of a human and we're walking out. He's like, you're doing really good. You're going to be all right. I was like, I've never run a mile and a half before in my entire fucking life. <laughs> He's like, what? Are you? And he, he, he stopped. He looked at me. Are you shitting me? I was like, no. No, I've never run that far ever. I don't have any ID. He's like, well, I'll just, it's on a track. I'll coach you every, every lap. And so every lap, you're a piece of shit. You're going to fail. You're a piece of shit. You're going to fail. And that, so that was his coaching technique, which was solid. But my, how times have changed. <laughs> but I finished it. Yeah. You know, I finished, uh, I don't know. I, I think the time limit was 12 minutes. And I was like, I don't know, mid tens. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't speedy by any stretch, but I finished it. Yeah. And then I didn't run at all until I took it again in a school. And then I didn't run it all until I got to buds. And so I ran myself into uh, shin splints and stress fractures. Yeah. Just being a bud student, yeah. uh, just being in pre-phase, waiting to class up. When I did my uh, class up physical for 163, you know, they raked that backside of the uh, little uh, reflex hammer up your shins. And I was like, ah, shit. It's like, yeah, you're gonna, I'm going to hold you and put you on a running program. Yeah. So, yeah. But that was the first time I'd ever seen the ocean. Yeah. I checked into Bud's five days before my 19th birthday. It was the first time I'd ever seen the ocean. Wow. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, landlocked New Mexico. Yeah. Um, graduate Bud's, go to Benning, uh, go to SEAL Team 8. You did three deployments there, right? Yeah, two I mean, and well, and see, and there's the, there's the two or three. Um, my first platoon was put together for the first Desert Storm. And it was, uh, I think there was nine or ten new guys in that platoon because all the other platoons were already formed up. And so they put us together specifically for the eventuality that we were going to be part of that. And then we didn't, we ended up not being a part of that. So we did kind of a pseudo deployment. We were together for shit. I think we were together for two and a half years as a platoon. And we did a bunch of uh, like trying to think of the right to, uh, acronym for it, you know, the military acronym. We did all the, all the training exercises that platoons on deployment typically did. We would fly forward and do those. So the platoons could do whatever they were doing. Yeah. And so we were, shit, we were, we did a solid six months of that. We didn't, it wasn't like a legit deployment. We'd fly out and do shit for 
three weeks a month and then we'd fly back to the states yeah. and then we'd fly out and do it here and we did it in turkey and we did it in north africa and we did it in asia or in europe because that was our theater of deployment and so then we actually did a full arg amphibious readiness group deployment and at that time seal team eight was the strike platoon team yeah yeah we went into the that, that was can you kind of talk to to the listener of what that means <laughs> Do you even know? I, mean, I, I kind of know. Yeah. I mean, I guess your your understanding <laughs> so at they, the time. They took us from the ARG, the Amphibious Readiness Group, where we were deploying on the marine on the marine side of the Navy vessels, and they they started attaching us to the Carrier Battle Group, so that we had the air support and mobility that came with that. Yeah, and that was kind of the the start of that for us. And then we were European theater, European North African theater. Um, and then again, then the teams were on East coast and West coast were broken down by desert jungle and cold weather. And there were three teams on each coast and you know, each team had an area of operation. And so we were technically desert. And so North Africa and, and Europe desert. Yeah. And, uh, you didn't do cold weather too. No, really? No, that was, uh, Team two it was two, and then four was jungle. Yeah, yeah. So jungle. So four was doing the Panama and the and the South America deployments, and two was doing the Alaska trip, which is why I still have never been to Alaska, yeah. you know, the last state that I haven't touched. And uh, so, and and they were doing Banger, Maine. So they were doing all the cold weather shit, and we were doing desert stuff. I guess it's just surprising that if you're a carrier based strike platoon going to Europe, you'd think that you'd probably do some cold weather stuff there's yeah. a fair bit of that in europe there, there was a tiny bit yeah we were i was cold on more than one occasion as yeah a, yeah, yeah i don't yeah the the, the needs of the navy and yeah. apparently people with stars they, they know more than everybody yeah. else Not just to sure. ask them for sure they do. yeah yeah they'll they'll be yeah. <laughs> and it's so far above everybody else they can't even explain it right you just yeah, understand just, it. i can't even use words i can't i don't have the crayons or the patience <laughs> to explain this to you the uh, you did one of the the deployments. You end up getting diverted to Somalia, off the coast of Somalia. Right? Yeah, that was uh, that was my third, and so we were. I guess not to interrupt, but before you jump into that, anything substantial happen on the second deployment, or was it all training and? Uh, it was all training. We almost got to do security for the Olympics in Spain, mm-hmm. um, but we didn't. Almost. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole lot of that. I almost joined there's, the navy. There's a whole lot of that shit in the military, yeah. and we almost got to, but. Uh, yeah, nothing. Uh, it, it was just you know, it was a standard European deployment, yeah. you know, battle group deployment. We uh, it was the first time I'd ever been lost on an aircraft. Really? Yeah, yeah. We were flying, uh, flying lost f- on an aircraft. Yeah, the, in <laughs> in or on. We were on a fifty three, and we we're doing across the Med from Aviano in Italy and we were going to Turkey to do a, one of those big cross training exercises with NATO forces. And it was rough weather, shitty weather. And the pilots got fucking turned around somehow. And I don't, I, to this day, I don't know how the fuck it happened, but I remember sitting in the back and watching a pilot with a fucking chart turning it. <laughs> I'm like, that's that a good sign. That can't be good. <laughs> And so they did an emergency landing on the carrier battle group that was in the med. And, and when we hit the deck on, on the carrier, the Marine security force was locked and loaded all the way around the flight deck. Cause we weren't supposed to be out there. Jesus. Uh, yeah, Cause they were going to run out of fuel. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So 
But I mean, but aside from that, it's typical, you know, super cool. We got to do all this shit. I learned to climb in Europe because of, you know, having those first deployments. Yeah. And sport climbing being such a big deal in Europe, it was a really easy thing to do most everywhere we ported. Yeah. And so, yeah, nothing, nothing spectacular out of that. Yeah. I also want to talk to you real quick about a product I've been using for a long time, long time sponsor and supporter of the show, Mudwater. Uh, got rid of coffee, switched to Mudwater. Uh, it tastes great. I like to mix my uh, Bubs collagen and, uh, and MCT oil powder with it. Uh, a little bit of vanilla drops, and uh, it's fantastic. Um, it's got a host of different ingredients. There's cacao and chai for a hint of caffeine and kind of a hot chocolate type flavor. There's lion's mane for focus. Cordyceps to promote natural energy and uh, both chaga and raishi to support a healthy immune system. It's Whole30 approved, 100% USDA certified organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, and kosher. Uh, they do donate monthly to support psychedelic research, and they have since day one. Uh, go get your free frother and free samples of coconut creamer and sweetener if you go to mudwater, M-U-D-W-T-R.com forward slash Mike. Uh, on that link, you get all the samples, the frother for free, and that's mudwater, M-U-D-W-T-R dot com slash Mike for that free author, uh, free frother rather. So it's a great product. I've been using it for a long time. Uh, you don't get the upset stomach or the jitters with the tons of caffeine and coffee, uh, and it's a great vehicle to add uh, whatever other supplements you want to throw into your morning routine. That's mudwater.com slash Mike. In today's crazy world with natural disasters, travel, pandemics, supply chain shortages, you name it. Jace Medical comes through with antibiotics uh, that you can just fill out a simple form and get online. They've recently added ivermectin to their list of uh, appropriate and available medications. Uh, and I will say, you know, I've, I've used this in a number of occasions, whether it's for uh, myself, family, uh, you can even use them on your pets. Um, make sure that you get the dosages correct. But, uh, you know, being able to, to order medications, antibiotics, ivermectin, et cetera, uh, is pretty key and, and extremely important. Um, you, you never want to get caught unprepared. Uh, everybody should be empowered enough to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. And Jace handles everything from online evaluations to licensed pharmacy medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care. Um, I can't recommend these guys enough for all your antibiotic and uh, emergency supply needs as it relates to those types of medications. Go to jacemedical.com and enter code DROP at checkout for discount on your order. That's promo code DROP at jasemedical.com. And uh, so the third deployment. Yeah, so we were, we were in northern Italy, uh, Trieste, and we were there was like seven of us that were really big into climbing and we discovered that northern corner of uh of italy bordered yugoslavia there's a big valley up there called uh val rosandra the big granite quarries and shit up there and so we discovered that we could take two buses out of trieste into this little bitty town and hike across the border into yugoslavia to climb. the climbing was better in yugoslavia than it was on the Italy side yeah. so yeah we, we we were hiking across the border to climb and uh i uh i took a rock in the head on one of those we'd been going up there we were there for i think we were in port there for almost two weeks and like half of the platoon were a bunch of skiers and so they went up into the swiss alps and they were skiing 
And then the Somalia thing happened and we got pulled back onto the boat to go down and, and give battle group support on the coast for the evacuation. So after the Black Hawk down, we were down there, I think we were in, I think we were on the coast maybe, maybe three or four days after the Black Hawk down episode. Yeah. Yeah. And during that time, I mean, there were times where you were having to get into the water and, and oh, they uh, wanted us to, they wanted us to do a, a beach survey so the Marines could do a landing. That was the goal. And it was a bunch of, uh, there was a bunch of shallow rock kind of coralish shit, but, um, maybe mile and a half, two miles down the coast from Mogadishu, there's a food processing plant, meat processing plant where they just dump all their shit in the ocean. So the sharks there are fucking bonkers. We were coming in on a destroyer, and you could see sharks bow surfing the wave, wow. the, the bow waves. Let's get in the water. And they're like, we want you guys to like, <laughs> <laughs> you're adorable. No. <laughs> so we did, uh, they had, uh, it was like a, a light laser yeah. depth finder. So that we were, we were doing as good as we could beach soundings off of Zodiacs going into the beach. And we went over the beach and did photo ops and shit and had some, had some little skinnies roll up in a truck, not sure who we were, and we're like, oh, fuck, did we just cause an international incident? But nothing of merit actually came out of it other than we got some cool pictures and we were in the area. Yeah. The, the beach survey thing is, is wild to think about. You know, when you went through training, when I went through training, doing, you know, mark and move, mm -hmm. you know, fucking weighted. <laughs> the one we did in Hawaii. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. everybody about fucking drowned. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. Like with technology being what it is now, there's absolutely zero reason to do any of right. that. You know, I mean, none. Yeah, and that's, aside from maintaining a historical reference yeah. and relevancy, which is a fucking total waste of time. I mean, right. as cool as it is, and yeah, that I mean, like juice being worth a squeeze, it's not right. worth. I mean, we we you should spend that time being good at the things that are going to save your life, not. There's a part of me that thinks because of what we've done the last, well, what we did for 20 years, you know, 9-11 to leave in Afghanistan, having that water roots and being able to call yourself a SEAL and being capable, because the knowledge isn't complicated, but the, the application of it, the application, the physical exertion to swim on a line in a surf zone with shitty currents and actually do the work. I think that's something that's laudable. I mean, yeah. whether it should be a focus, I, I would agree with you. I don't think it should be a focus, but I think everybody should have that capability if you want to be able to call yourself a SEAL. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I don't disagree the, with the, that. The, just, the water side of it being the yeah, point. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so you wrap that deployment up. Um, you go back to Team 8. Well, I, I fucking crashed and burned on that. I fucking, carrying a rucksack, I tripped in a fucking weird way in a, in a rocky area at night and blew my meniscus on my left leg and broke my left arm. And so I flew home from that deployment, like maybe three or four weeks before we were done anyway. Yeah. And so I flew home for surgery and rehab and shit. And I was, I had been looking at going, my goal was to go to college and change all the shit that I didn't like about the teams because I didn't think it was being managed properly and they needed me at the top. <laughs> they need my guidance they and did. leadership. They truly did. <laughs> and uh, I mean, they still do probably, all things considered. Um, they may not know it. <laughs> and, and this comes from a place of zero personal invest, investment. I don't, I don't think, I don't, I don't, it comes from no arrogance. Right. I just think I know shit that they don't get. 
I actually don't disagree <laughs> in all seriousness. I don't, I don't disagree. No, I know we've, we've been friends yeah. for a long time for yeah. a reason. Yeah. Um, so I, I was looking to go to college and I was trying to find an avenue to do that. And, uh, I started putting together a ROTC package, you know, prior enlisted ROTC package. And, um, my CO at the time, fucking spectacular guy. He's like, I heard you want to go to college. Yeah, I do. Like, why don't you go to the Academy? I'm too old. It's like, whatever. Like, I know people at the Academy. I'll get you in the Academy. I'm like, I'm, I'm too old. It was, uh, it was a, it was a Tuesday. Actually, we had this conversation on a Tuesday. He's like, I'm going to drive up to Annapolis tomorrow and I'll get you in. He said, you sure you, you, sure you want to go? I was like, well, if, if you can get me in the academy, I'll go to the academy. But I'm too old. He's like, I'll go make some shit happen. So he drove up to the academy on Wednesday. That's saying something for a fucking COO he, teammate he, to, to he do He was that. just, he was a fucking super, yeah. our, my whole career, I can name the guys that I would worked with, particularly on the brass level at the officer level that I would voluntarily work with again, I can list on a hand. Yeah. Same as you. Yeah. And he was one of them. He was just that good a guy. Yeah. He just had his shit together. And so he drove up to, to Annapolis. And he came back, and on Thursday, he called me into his office. He's like, you're too fucking old. You get out of me. I can't get in. I'm like, I fucking told you that. <laughs> How old were you? So I was 23. God, that's wild. So they won't let you start the academy if you're older than 21. Mm. that's that's their structure whatever fine yeah. so he says all right so here's what we're gonna do you're getting a fucking ROTC scholarship I'm like yeah they give like I think they were given three thousand a year nationwide and there was like I don't know sixty thousand applicants a year yeah I'm like the odds aren't good he's like I'm gonna make that shit happen he's like I couldn't get to the academy I can make this shit happen well he knew Bill Shepard and so he got me a letter of recommendation from Shepard and like who the, he, who the fuck is Bill Shepard? Original astronaut seal. Oh, I'd fuck it, man. oh yeah. Yeah. Bill There's Shepard. my fucking yeah. history lesson. <laughs> I didn't know either, but yeah. he did. And yeah. so he introduced me to him and he, he writes me a letter of recommendation and he got me, he got me a ROTC scholarship. Oh shit. Yeah. So that's how that happened. Yeah. So that's how I ended up going to college. Did you pick Arizona on purpose or was so I it picked, like, uh, I picked three and I wanted to go, I'd, Mama's boy, remember? Don't don't ever forget. I was a mama's boy. Um, I wanted to go somewhere close to New Mexico. I wanted to be closer to home. And New Mexico, University of New Mexico, didn't offer. They 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 upended their Navy ROTC. They still had Army and Air Force, I think, but they didn't have Navy during the time that I was looking to go. So I applied at uh, Texas A and M. UC Boulder and University of Arizona, Tucson. And Arizona was the first to answer. I got into all three. I got accepting letters to, to all three because at the time in my military background, my SAT scores, everything worked. I, I could have got it. I could, I could have went to all of them. But when I got my acceptance letter from U of A, I was like, fuck, I got into a college. Holy shit. So I just said yes. Yeah. I, I responded before I got the other acceptance letters. Looking back on it, would you... If you had gotten a yes from all three, would you still have picked Arizona? If I'd gotten them all at the same time, I think I would have ended up at Texas A&M. Yeah, that's weird to think. I know. Like, and, and they're a huge, like you wear a uniform yeah. every day. Yeah, that's a big deal. At there. Texas A&M. Yeah. At the U of A, it was once a week. Yeah. So it was, it was a completely different thing. So yeah, if I had gotten the acceptance letters in a different order, things would have been different. If I'd have got them all together, I probably would have chose Texas. Yeah, that's wild. 
So, I mean, we've talked about this, but I'd love to get your description of it. You know, going from being a 23, 24-year-old um, or, you know, going to college as a 23, 24-year-old SEAL that's been around the world a few times. Right. And, uh, what was that that experience like going back to like going to college after? It was because uh, I never thought I was going to go to college. That was never my That was never my trek, and that wasn't the sales pitch back then. Uh, it, you know, that wasn't the end all be all. If you don't go to college, you can't be shit. Fuck you. Yeah. Um, so it was never, it was never on my horizon and I didn't want to go to college for college sake. I wanted it so that I could get a commission and do grand things in the Navy yeah. and change policy and you know, all that shit. So yeah. have your own stateroom yeah, exactly. <laughs> on the ship. We, <laughs> uh, look how important I am. But at any rate, I, uh, I was, uh, and this is, this is my personal opinion of it. I was an average team guy from a, from a physical capability standpoint. And I worked hard to be average. And I, there were some things. I was a little bit better in the water than some guys. I could always do a shit ton of pull-ups. That was always a strength for me. But the general fitness of the teams is, as you know, it's next level. Yeah. And I always felt like I was fucking bringing up the rear and trying hard to maintain. <laughs> I did. I just, I just never felt like I was at the level of, cause I'd watch these fucking Glenn fucking good at a cocksucker, yeah. but a, a ton of guys, there was a guy at, uh, there was a guy at eight that was, I mean, he was, he had a halitosis. He was such a heavy al- alcoholic. He got booted from damn neck for being an alcoholic. Yeah. And I watched that fucker on a Friday morning, three mile timed run, come out with a fresh cigarette, take a drag, set it on the curb. And they said go, and he left. And he was back at like 14.53. Jesus. He ran across the finish line, walked over, his cigarette burned down about that far. He walked over and, fuck, I hate running. <laughs> what the fuck? What the fuck? I, and I, yeah. you know, being around that your whole life, you're always, there's, there's a fucking level of performance expectation that yeah. should always be there, that drive. Yeah. And because I'd always felt like I was sucking a hind tit, then when I went to college, I was like, I'm a borderline superhero. The rest of the world, it's weird. Even other, you know, uh, so the, the unit at U of A was a combined Marine Corps Navy unit, uh, 160 kids probably. Not quite even split, probably 60, 40 Navy to Marines. Most shit, probably half of them prior active duty. And I was more fit than 90% of them. And I still wasn't a runner. And I was top 10% yeah. in that group of people. Yeah. And so it was a weird, it was a weird transition. What, what about like, I guess, culturally in classes and around campus and whatever? Was that a, a, a tough adjustment? Probably not as tough as it would be now, but yes. Um, going to, you know, liberal arts classes where they're talking about global stuff from places that I'd actually been that they hadn't that, that, you know, some 24 year old TA that's, you know, this is how things I'm like, I, I was there like fucking seven months ago and that's not how that shit is. Yeah. Well, you can't I'm like, I'm not trying to, but you're full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the fact that you are so adamant about being full of shit when I'm telling you I was just there is kind of, a, is kind of shocking to me. Yeah. But that seems to be the norm now throughout history throughout all of society now yeah but it it, it was interesting it was it wasn't overly difficult i took a lot of classes i that rotsy scholarship four-year limit when any of that four and a half five year getting a degree shit and i wanted to do uh, i wanted to do a triple major they had a program it was a 
uh, they had a name for his triple major program. And I was going to do political science, philosophy, and psychology. And I couldn't get into the psych classes that were required in time to get it done. So I ended up doing philosophy as a major. Yeah, which is um, fucking hilarious, by uh, the way. I mean, Roadhouse is one of my all-time <laughs> favorite movies, and I was a bouncer in college, so fuck you. Um, Pain I, don't hurt. That's right. There's a remake of that coming out, you know. Really? Yeah, with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, I think. Oh, fuck that movie. I don't know why they got to do it. Fucking lack of fucking original thought in Hollywood is sad. I mean, agreed. Uh, I do think if, you know, there's a handful of actors that could pull it off, I think Jake can pull it off. Yeah, we'll see. I'll I'll have to watch it, but yeah. yeah. Apparently, I think he's like a a former UFC fighter turn, you know, gets injured or something and now is about, you know, something like that, I, I think, but... I don't yeah, know. it was uh, it was silly easy work to get. Yeah, as a prior seal, like I sure. just fill it out on, the, and they'd be like, "Yeah, you're hired." Yeah, like, but I don't know, like you're you're good. Yeah, yeah. And so I took twenty one, twenty four units a semester, and I worked forty, sixty hours a week as a bouncer. And yeah, that was. So you end up with a uh, a degree in philosophy. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, but no commission. Strangely, yeah, strangely enough, yeah. Uh, double minor. What uh, happened? Double double minor. Um, it's it's weird, and you're going to be surprised by this. You of all people are going to be surprised. <laughs> yeah, no. it had something to do with my mouth. <laughs> yeah, no way. Uh, it did. I don't. I don't uh, buy not it. a lot to do, but a, yeah. there was there was a part of it that had to do with my mouth. But uh, yeah, naval science and political science, double minor, and. Uh, I lost my scholarship because of the requirements of the ROTC scholarship. Uh, they wrote the program in late 60s, early 70s, mm-hmm. when they were transferring from conventional to nuclear Navy. And they wanted you, if you were going to get a commission in the Navy, they wanted you to have a technical degree. So there was a requirement for uh, physics and calculus. And then, so calculus one, calculus two, physics, and then calculus-based physics were those four classes were required for the, for the uh, uh, commissioning or for the, you know, for the ROTC scholarship program they were required. And I could not get through second year calculus. I, I wasn't efficient enough at it. Yeah. I was, I, I understood it. I could do the university of Arizona is a math research university. So they wouldn't allow you to use calculators. You had to show all your work and I could do three problem sets flawlessly in an hour on a six problem set test and basic math calls that a 50%, which is a fucking <laughs> F. So basic math, <laughs> basic math. Yeah. You failed, but I'm so good. Yeah. But you failed. Yeah. But you're too fucking slow as the thing. Well, and my professor even went to the, when they were talking about removing my scars, I was like, we need to do something about this. And he went to my CO and my XO. He's like, look, he understands the material, but he's not fast enough. We need to make him faster. And my XO was a Marine Lieutenant Colonel and he was a douche. My CO was a former F-18 pilot Navy, and he was a fucking good guy. I've, I've, I've had some luck with having good officers over the years. Yeah. And he was a good guy, and this, the, the XO was all about, fuck you, get the fuck out of here. And uh, the CO was like, I have it within my power as the CO to let you stay in school. Your, your GPA is good, but you're failing for the, for the ROTC side. So if you can maintain your GPA I, and, and you want to stay and finish your degree, so this was the end of my junior year. Well, early into my second semester of my junior year. And he said, so if you can do that, I'll let you stay in school. I was like, I appreciate that. Yeah, I'd really like to finish my degree. I'm already here. Yeah. So I had to pay for I had to pay out of pocket that semester and the next two. And I had to get in-state tuition to do that. And there was a whole ball of, but he let me stay and finish my degree. Now, Years in the Navy-wise, did that 
Was that fucking muddied water? Like it, it would have transferred had I finished it and retired. It would have uh, the being a ROTC student, you're in active reserves, Navy, yeah. and it counts. Uh, it's uh, two to one. So my four years would have given me two years equivalency active duty. I got you. When I retired, so if I'd have gone to twenty years, I could have retired at twenty two. Yeah. So that's that's how that math would have worked out. Yeah. So then, what, I mean, when you so when you graduated and got your degree, at that point, um, you could have walked, or you had to go. No, no, I I was committed. I I owed the Navy the time of college, so I owed them basically three years, okay. three and a half. So, so not not the because you paid out of pocket, like it was just the time that they it was were there. the time that they paid for me. So my first basically three years of college, they I owed. Uh, so what happened then? Uh, so the rule is. And this is, again, needs of the Navy. Navy structure rules. The rule is if you fail out of the program, you go back to your last command at your last command's pay grade. That was the rule. Well, I was in Arizona, so Virginia was along. That's an expensive move. And because I had been in before and I knew guys, I called the detailer in Tennessee. I happened to get a guy on the phone that I had been at Team 8 with. And I told him, I was like, look, so here's where I'm at. He goes, okay, so you didn't finish. I'm like, no, I finished college. I just didn't get my commission. I got to go back in and enlist. And so he pulled up all my shit. He goes, okay, I see where we're at. He says, so what do you want to do? I'm like, well, here's what the rules is. I know what the rules say. What do you want to do? I said, I want to be on the, I want to be on the West coast. So my dream sheet when I left buds was to be West coast. And they said, nope, too bad. Fuck you. Yeah. Well, they just commissioned team eight and they, they call it, they, they commissioned it, called it dump eight. Pretty much every command dumped their trouble children at eight. So that's, that's where my start was. And I'd worked with this guy and I told him, I was like, uh, I'd like to go to the West coast to somewhere that's got a similar operational mindset personality as team eight. He goes, all right, hold on a minute. So he puts the fuck like, Hey, what do you guys know about both coasts, and he asks around, and one of the guys says, he says, if you want to go to the West Coast and have something similar to eight, you should go to three. So he comes back on the phone. He's like, oh, it looks like Team Three is the place to go. I was like, well, is there um, orders open for an E5 at Team Three? He goes, oh, look at that. Orders just came available for an <laughs> E5 at Team Three. So, you know, big, good old boy network gets more shit done than any fucking structure ever did. And so he wrote me orders to Team Three. And then uh, you went straight there, right? Uh, kind of. I had to in process back to active duty, so I was over at uh, I was over at the waterside at Thirty Second Street in their fuck do they call it like a holding temporary temporary holding, temporary holding unit. unit TPU temporary processing unit yeah fucking picking up cigarette butts and fucking just <laughs> Jesus what the fuck Na the Navy shit that makes most guys go you're gonna have to kill me to get me out of buds yeah, yeah. so. <laughs> I did that for, I don't know, maybe it was probably a month before I was actually at eight. Wow. I got, I got to eight. At three, you mean? Or, yeah, three. I was probably at three in November. Yeah. So I came back. I, I think I started in processing the beginning of October. It was probably mid-November when I was actually at three. Yeah. Did you notice a big shift culture-wise, kind of the way the teams were, so to speak, from that four-year period, or was it, it kind of... It was, it was significant in a, in a technology yeah. realm. Uh, when I left, GPS was not... It, like, like man-carried GPS, you know, fucking watched, that'll tell you where you are on the planet. That shit didn't exist when I left eight. Yeah. They, had, uh, they had systems that were big... 
like old school radio systems, you know, you need a wheelbarrow to roll them around that were doing well. They had systems that you could float and you could float an antenna and get, you know, fairly accurate stuff, but they didn't have what they had when I came back on active duty. Yeah. Is that the biggest difference? Uh, that was one of the big differences. The, uh, the move towards more close quarters, urban stuff, that had already started moving that direction, and I think that was influenced from Damn Neck guys cycling out of Damn Neck and bringing that mentality to the rest of the commands. Yeah. So that was that was a shift. Yeah. But uh, in general, those were probably the two big differences for yeah. the four years out. Yeah. Did you call Tommy Barker and say, hey, I'm coming to three, motherfucker, make me a, a spot, or did it, was it just total happen? I had no idea he was still at three. I had kind of kept in touch. We had... He, he was in the teams, he was deploying, he was doing all manner of shit, and I was in college. And I started doing triathlons in college so that I could stay in shape because I needed something to maintain so that when I got back, so that I could still be an average SEAL. I had to, I had to, I had to maintain my average status. I didn't want to lose yeah. that, and that was pretty important <laughs> to me. And so I'd, I saw him maybe twice the time I was in college, but when I showed up at three, I don't think I had any idea he was there. I don't know if he knew I was coming, how we ended up in that platoon together, I don't know if he had any, and actually him and I have never talked about it. I don't know if he had any influence in that. I would bet that, that he did. He I suspect he did. I would think. but Because he'd been there for a while at that yeah. point. So that that was. Well, plus the LPO, like, right. just, you know, yeah. just kind of running shit like that. But mm -hmm. uh, fucking wild. So check in the three uh, you and I meet. Yeah. I, want, I want to hear your version of how you and I met. So the best I remember you and I met in front of one of the supply mill vans. And I think it was before Christmas that year. It might've been going into January, but I think it was before Christmas of 98. So I got, I came back in October. I was at the team probably early November. So yeah, it was probably because I was slated to go through SQT. I, I had to do refresher as even as a trident where I'd been out long enough, they wanted me refresher. And there was, uh, there was eight or 10 guys in that class that had tridents that had done other shit. Well, fucking van, yeah. you know, being a nurse, he had to do it. And that's how, that's how him and I met. I was his LPO and SQT, but, uh, I was standing at supply and you were standing at supply and I'm like, who is this skinny fucking kid? <laughs> Cause damn, you were little, you were little. Like I was little when I came in. I mean, I was fucking 19. I know when I joined the Navy, I weighed 140. 49 pounds same here as one yeah it was 147 was my yeah, first id like fuck yeah and uh i don't know that i'd want to be that small again but i wouldn't mind being 10 pounds smaller yeah. if it didn't take so much work now but yeah. uh yeah the uh it was the mill vans behind the command because it was a small command and they didn't have all the storage they needed and so they had uh, the vidmar cabinets right there at the beginning with little stuff yeah. in the drawers and i sent the supply guy to the back of the mill van to get me something that i needed and I started opening drawers and handing the shit out. And you're like, what the fuck is this guy doing? I'm like, you need to steal everything you can from supply because <laughs> these motherfuckers won't give you shit if you ask for it because they don't want to. Yeah. They think it's theirs. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was our first meeting as far as I know. That, that's pretty fucking accurate. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was like, you know, brand new, bushy-tailed, like had just checked in. And, and I'm the... Old salt. Yeah, you're this old salty <laughs> fuck that you know has been on the East Coast. Who and, still doesn't feel like I have any. Yeah, but yeah, that's exactly right. I was standing there with my fucking kit bag, mm -hmm. waiting for my G Shock and you know the handful yeah. of other things that they were going to issue. And, and I like, handed fucking, you a Leatherman and some yeah, other I mean, shit. Fucking, 
550 cord and rigorous tape and steal everything you can from these motherfuckers. And of course, I'm just like, I don't think we're supposed to do this. You can't touch that. I'm like, fuck that. Just take it. Put it in your bag. Shut the fuck up. And I'm like, the supply guy's there. This guy's an an old guy that's been around. I guess I should listen to him. And I just, yeah, fucking, Mm -hmm. you know, peer pressure, I guess. But, uh, see daddy shit. Yeah. The, uh, all right. So, then, then uh, you go through SQT, get into the platoon, end up with Tom Barker, end up with me and, and a host of other new guys, including Glenn. Um, you know, I've I've kind of detailed our experience at, at Team Three platoon wise, so I won't uh, go, I guess, too heavy into it. Other than just kinda, you kind of glossed over me cutting my. Oh yeah, SQT. I guess yeah, my yeah. my SQT. So one, one I the, thought surely you were going to want. Well, so one of the challenges of, of interviewing somebody that I know so well is is that there's a lot of things that I just wouldn't normally think about. Right. It's it's interesting trying to interview you because there's yeah there's just things that uh, that are different. Yeah. But so yeah, going through SQT. I mean, you almost fucking killed yourself, really. I, I, mean, I did. Like, yeah, I came really close because I'm a fucking retard and I like yeah, knives. The, f- um, the femoral artery, like, was right there. Yeah, right? I uh, so. At eight, when I got there, they were issuing the Buckmaster from the original Rambo movie. Yeah. You know, with the little grappling hooks and yeah. fucking thread in. and Fucking compass on the butt of the yeah, and, and the hollow handle. And, and all things considered, the knife's actually a decent knife. It's a really heavy bladed deal uh, from Buck. Uh, probably five sixteenths thick, like a really beefy fucking blade where they put the little bitty saw blade that's yeah. fucking useless. But it had a really, um, a really fragile tip about three-eighths to a half an inch of the tip was super fragile because of the grind lines that they put on it. Which you can relate to having a super fragile tip. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, no. My tip is bulbous <laughs> and very durable. Um, yeah, go ahead and put that in your fucking mental imagery bank. Uh, if you broke the tip off and reground it, it was actually a really durable knife, and I still have it. I used it as a demo knife for fucking most of my career. Oh, shit. Because it was a super durable knife. You just beat the living shit out of it once that tip was broken off and reshaped. And you still have it? I still have it. Oh, yeah. shit. Yeah, I still have it. And uh, so we were we were at a demo range. We were, fuck, towards the end of SQT. We were coming up on the 12-mile hump part. So that's like the last month or so, something like that. Yeah. And uh, we are doing demo and I was opening a couple of, it was opening cases of deck cord and they're just, you know, wooden banded boxes, but they had a metal band around them. And I had this fucking buck mask. And I was like, just get out of them. Cause guys were trying to figure out how to open them with their fucking leatherman trying to get their, you know, their wire cutters and all. Like, just get the fuck out of the way. So I'm wedging this knife under these bands and prying it up. And so I popped two, I think it was on the third one in vans right there. And I popped it. And when I popped it, I fucking hit I, my head. I hit myself in the leg. I'm like, fuck, I almost cut myself. And Van's looking at my leg. He's like, you might want to plug that up. You're going to bleed to death. And I look down and my legs, I'm just fucking pouring blood out of my leg. And so I'm like, oh, fuck. I stick two fingers in it and fucking gimp off. The whole class was watching, you know, this old fucking team guy be a fucking <laughs> retard. I fucking stabbed myself. My own, all my, all my worst injuries are self-inflicted, turns out. And uh, so, yeah, I, I missed. It, it went in in an upward angle. Let me move this yeah. so I don't fuck it up. There's the headphones. Yeah, see? So uh, it went in at an upward angle <laughs> into, my, into my thigh, and it missed. By measurement, they say it missed my femoral artery by probably a millimeter and a half. Jeez. So the thickness of a dime, I missed puncturing my femoral artery. And we were... We were like siphon 16. We were way the fuck out. We were 
we were 35 minutes from the base yeah. and another hour to a hospital. Yeah. And so, yeah, I probably came really close to fucking bleeding out. Even, I mean, I pro- they probably could have tourniqueted me and kept me, but I, yeah, I fucking yeah. just. And, it, a, and of course, they didn't clean it well. The guy, Disney. Walt Disney. <laughs> yeah. I, no, no, no bag on him for it, but he missed shit in the wound because it was so deep. It was two layers of sutures, muscle layer, skin layer. And there was shit in there, so it got infected. And I had to dry pack it for like six months. Now it looks like a gunshot wound. I mean, it looks super cool, but it's just dumb as fuck, the reason I have it. The scar's awesome, but yeah. Well, I mean, that put you out. There was a lot of training that you couldn't do because of it too, right? Well, yeah, I I didn't do the hump because I couldn't. Um, I I could wing all the rest of it. And it was, for me, it was refresher anyway. And I'd done all of the base shit. Up, you know, including, you know, sh- showing Walt Disney that GPS is not the end all be all in fucking navigation. And that was talking about the differences, like that attitude of what is necessary to do the job. I was sad to learn that uh, the guys at his era, and he was well, below, well behind me in classes as well, that technology had become a crutch. Yeah. And I didn't like it. And uh, he wanted me to fucking navigate with a GPS. And I told him, I said, if you can ever show me with your GPS that I'm not where I say I am with my map and compass, we'll talk. But until that point, I said, I can break your GPS and you know where the fuck you are because you're an idiot. And we went round and round and round about that particular topic. And Van and I talked about it. And he's like, I learned the way you learned, but this is new. I'm like, I'm not doing the new shit. And so because of that, you know, I ended up being the point man for two platoons and yeah. I always did it with a map and compass because it made sense to me. That's the way I learned it. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing I, I remember and will always remember uh, your sense of direction, like just natural. Was it always good? Because yeah, just for, like as long as I can up, ever remember. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's one thing like, you know, obviously every point man of every platoon should, should be yeah, ideally. In, inclined naturally to, to have a decent sense <laughs> yeah, of direction. But, uh, but I, I, I mean, there were times where I would say I was embarrassed at how fucking lost I, I was really? in terms of where we were. Now, granted, some of it was I'm at the very other end, right. you know, pulling rear security, which you could argue I should probably have paid more right. attention because sometimes you can wind up being the point man. But like I, I kind of intentionally was not really paying attention because you were so good at it. I was yeah. like, dude, he's fucking, you know. Yeah, he knows where we're going. He'll thinking, fucking, like, he'll drive us. What if he gets go. shot? <laughs> You know, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, like times at Fort Chaffee or, you know, where we would fly around in a helicopter for fucking an hour, you right. know, and not just doing circles where it's like, you can kind of, I mean, going no, doing, every other, doing which cold God, drops and, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, and, and we'd land and fucking get out and do our, you know, look, listen, fucking wait, whatever the fucking acronym. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, another I one of those that I can't remember. Um, you know, but. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, like, dude, we could be in fucking Kentucky, and I wouldn't know any different. Right. And uh, and you're like, yep, we're right here. You know, and then and then Van would pull out the, G- you know, other guys would grab their GPS, and be like, yeah, that's right where we're at. I'm like, how in the fuck? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But you know, to me, even even stroking your ego a little further, you like you can stroke whatever you want to yeah, mind. That's what I'm talking about. We're gonna need to take a quick break. Uh, it's not gonna be uh, that quick. Yeah, it won't. It'll be short for the audience. <laughs> <laughs> It'll seem like the blink of an eye. Four hours later, uh, no, but like even in Iraq, 
similarly like there right. there is no maps you know it's, oh. it's like you just knew where the fuck we were and, right. and it's not like well, i had maps i mean yeah but i mean the, but the way that the streets are right yeah. it's like boston versus washington dc right yeah it's like yeah. you know you go like one you, is here's how you navigate and the other one's fuck you figure it yeah, out it's yeah. like on purpose trying mm -hmm. to trick fuck you you yeah. know and uh yeah, I was, I was just like, dude, I have no fucking idea where we're at. And, and you're fucking driving right through, you know, just always knew right, right. the fuck where we were, yeah. where we were supposed to be. Uh, I mean, I, I've, I, I wouldn't say that I'm terrible with directions, but, you know, in, any competency that I have is, is from years of being in the SEAL teams of having to, right. to learn and, and figure out and whatever. I, I would not say that I just have a good natural sense of direction the way that you do. Uh, and, and the other part of that is I always wanted to be a point man. Like yeah. that was my dream job in the teams. And I started as a radio man and then I was a 60 gunner and then I finally got to be a point man. And I think that helped as well. I think, uh, I think too many guys get to be point man without carrying a heavy load Yeah, because you know, they have a natural proclivity or they show that and then they, and they beat the fuck out of their guys because they don't understand what it means to carry that extra load. Yeah. And so I always wanted to be a point man so I could be the light guy out front. I just, that was my dream job in the teams. And so when I finally got it, I was just ecstatic. Yeah. And, so, and, I, and I wanted to be it, and maybe that helped, yeah. you know, be, be professional at it. But I always had, I've always had a natural sense. Yeah, no, for, for sure. For some reason. Yeah. No, I mean, it was always, always mind-numbing. Um, do any stories stand out uh, during our two platoons together that, uh, that, that you remember or that you think fondly of that you want to share? The, the Abbotee story. Yeah, I can <laughs> set it up. Uh, so Fort Chaffee, two platoons. After we, uh, after we road tripped from San Diego to, uh, to, to Arkansas. Jesus. In a fucking bluebird bus. In a bluebird bus. Holy shit. What a fucking shit show. Oh, we can't afford to get a plane. Wow. Yeah. Thanks. Tip of the spear. Nothing but, nothing but the finest for my boys. Yeah. So uh, we're doing, you know, two platoons worth of land warfare training at Fort Chaffee. And uh, now I've been point man for Van because I was his point man in our platoon in SQT. And then he ended up being the AOIC of that first platoon and then the OIC of the second. And so I just stayed in that point man position. He liked me there and we were comfortable. We were, we were good together. And he trusted me to make the right decisions. And so... We were doing this, um, it's the, the charges off of the, the GTA card, the, uh, I think it's an army general explosives, you know, a little fold out, um, fourfold, I think, of just general explosive charges that have worked throughout explosives history. But the, the thing is written in TNT numbers. So all of the charges are based off of the TNT explosive weight weight and and brassants yeah so if you're doing any of those charges with modern explosives you have to do math to convert from one to the other to do, to use the proper amount of explosives to make it work and the uh, the abatee charge on that card is so it, it's a tree cutting charge and it's designed to knock a tree down over a road to impede traffic without impede completely motor traffic it. right to to kick it so it breaks it enough to fall over on the road, but it maintains on the stump at about five, six foot. So it can't be driven over easily. Yeah. So it's anchored on one edge and two platoons. We were broken up into like four, four man each. groups. Yeah. So I think it was four man groups. So I think it was four. So yeah, it was eight, four man groups. Yeah. And like four or five groups had just failed fucking miserably at it. And I was wearing that, uh, 
fucking Barma Australian, Australian kangaroo fucking leather kangaroo leather hat. Because <laughs> I hated the fucking helmets. And, yeah. and, and because we'd done our fucking, we'd done homework, they'd done, those fucking ballistic helmets don't stop a single round that is fired at you. Yeah. And they impede your vision. They impede your hearing. They're nice for mounting nods. But aside from that, they're just a fucking uncomfortable piece of shit. And I didn't like wearing them. Yeah. So I was wearing that hat. And the, the uh, training cadre was just fucking infuriated that I wore that hat. <laughs> and Van kind of was backing me. He's like, he's my guy. Fucking leave him be. It's not hurting nothing. It's my guy, whatever. And so for whatever reason, on that range, it came to a head. And they're like, that fucking hat. And Van comes to me. He says, you can, can you do this charge? I was like, fuck yeah, I can do this charge. He's like, everybody else is failing. I was like, I'll do the fucking charge. And so Van tells me, he says, I'll make a bet with you. He says, if you can do this charge correctly, I will defend that hat to anybody in our chain of command up to the fucking president of the United States. Yeah. If you fuck it up. And we'd been on MREs for like a week. He says, if you fuck it up, I get to shit in that hat and you wear it for 24 <laughs> hours. That was the bet. <laughs> and he made that, and we made that bet in front of two fucking platoons. So yeah. if I fucking failed, I was going to wear that hat taped to my head if I didn't want to. Oh, fuck. And so I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'll take the bet. And so I did, and I did the math, and my charge was different than everybody else's, and Van's like, oh. Like, there was part of him, I think even then, there was part of him, he's like, man, I hope he fucks this up just so I can fucking <laughs> hold him, just so I can fucking shut him up for a minute. And it was, and it was done, and yeah. it was correct. Yeah. And so I wore that fucking hat the rest of the time we, were, we yeah. worked together. Yeah, I mean, even in Iraq, I remember. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've got pictures of us fucking standing there, you wearing that goddamn hat. Mattis actually asked him about it. Oh, when really? we were doing that NAV plan out of Iraq, Hey, what the fuck's the deal with your guy not being Vans? Like he's my guy. Don't fucking worry about him. Yeah. Like, and and he did to his credit. He's like, I told you, yeah. all the way. I don't give a shit. And he did. Yeah. So. God, that's awesome. <laughs> and then I crashed and burned on that O course and broke both arms. Yeah. And you took the opportunity to fuck with me. I mean, horribly as I should have. Fucking bully. Uh, I you know I I feel like it's a bit of a misrepresentation. No, it's pretty accurate. Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.